Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. This week we look at the final letters written by Paul as we follow in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. And I am Jeffrey Seif. And we are collectively looking at the last days of Paul. Yes. This is the last program in our series. Yes. Tell us kind of where we're at now in this program. We have followed him all over the place uh, through abysmal circumstance, through agonies and ecstasies. A lot of travels too. A lot of travels, <laughs> but he's not moving around so much. He's jacked up by the police and he's in trouble, he still cares about his friends, he reaches out to those whom he mentors, great, great guy. I was gonna say, we're looking at Timothy and Titus today, is that yes, correct? Yes, yes, Paul cared about these individuals. Uh, Paul writes communi to communities, to Corinthians and everything, but he writes to individuals too. More right. about that, right, That personal Coming touch. Up. Dr. Seif is in Ephesus right now, on location, let's go there. His name, was Flavius Furious Aptius. I've renamed him, however. I call him Flavius Luxurious Aptius, and the reason why is because he lived in the lap of luxury, and here we are in his atrium right now, a home right off the major thoroughfare in ancient Ephesus. There's a market outside and a road that goes to the harbor. Paul would have frequented these places as would of others. Beyond that then we have in proximity here, we have the proconsular residence just adjacent to this home. Here this atrium had rooms round about, bedrooms, dens, dining rooms, used for other reasons. It was a magnificent structure in its day. And in its day, that is rewinding the tape back to the ancient world, it was in that day when the rabbi from Tarsus said, listen, I'm heading to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. But he said to Timothy, listen, I'm urging you, stay in Ephesus and help the Kehilot there, help the congregation there to get the story straight. You know, before you get the story out, you got to get the story straight. So Paul commended individuals to the task of teaching, and his writings were commended for posterity uh, in written form, hence you have the gathering of the New Testament corpus. I want you to look, please, with me in chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Timothy, where he tells him, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach 
no other doctrine. In fact, there were some that really had Paul disconcerted. He mentions in verse 19, there were some that have rejected a good faith and conscience, and he says they have, quote, suffered shipwreck of their faith. And it's interesting, there's a harbor right down the street here. So the analogy of a boat that crashes against the rocks and falls, this for him is analogous to a Christian uh, that lets their hole be breached with, with poor understandings. And how ought we to live? What ought we to do if one names the name of the Lord? He says in chapter 2, verse 1, and this is, I think, a fitting place to make this point. He says, I exhort first that supplications and prayers, etc., will be made for all men, and then he notes kings and all who are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. So in effect, when Paul writes Timothy, who stayed in Ephesus, says, listen, encourage these people to pray for the people that live in this house right here. I can assure you, Timothy didn't live here. But this house and this ruin is built atop. This is the ancient administrative center of the ancient world. And he says, listen, pray for peace. And a reason why he does that in part is because if you'll go to Luke's testimony in the 19th chapter, when Paul came to Ephesus, there was an uproar. There was a riot because people were coming to faith, they were changing the lifestyle, it was threatening the economy, and the merchants got together who were manufacturing idols and various religious paraphernalia to another religious persuasion. They got upset because people were disavowing all of that. And they filled up the theater right down the street here, and there was a big uproar. And the thing swelled out of control, and then a fella gets up and says, listen, we are guilty of disorder here. There, there are proconsuls. He says, the courts are open, the proconsul sits, they adjudicate, and it's interesting, this is where the proconsul was. Here we are in ancient Ephesus, and here Paul is encouraging, pray for the leaders. Well, Paul would encourage prayers for civil authorities. Truth be known that Paul had no influence over the juridical authorities in the broader culture. He did, however, have influence about what happened in his own house the Kehilat, the congregation, the church. When he wrote the Ephesians, he had developed for them the doctrine of the church. That's why ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, is so very much developed in Bible colleges and seminaries using the Ephesians text. Well, when Paul writes to uh, Timothy here, he exhorts for there to be good magistrates within the church house. And to that end, I want you to look, please, in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 and 0. And I want you to see what the rabbi of Tarsus says about organization within the Messianic synagogues, that is, these congregations that are um, very Jewish in their nature. They believe that the Messiah has come, and you'll see in a moment how they're organized along Jewish lines. The reason why I say that, if you look in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, this is a faithful saying. Uh, if a man desires to be a, a bishop, he desires a good work, and a bishop must be blameless and sober, uh, not given to wine, hospitable, etc. He goes on, there's a list there of virtues that he says are incumbent upon a bishop. Now, conceptually, let me say there's a problem here given to the distance and culture. When today we think of a bishop, we think of someone wearing a, a purple shirt and a white collar, someone with donning a big vestment, a crown, and a cathedral walking around with a shepherd's crook. This is a bishop. You understand the expression bishop, you get it from the Greek episcopus, um, but it really comes from a pre-Christian employment 
the bishop in the New Testament sense here is comparable to the zekinim in the synagogue. Paul was a synagogue man. And synagogues had elders that were called zekinim. Uh, zekinim comes from the Hebrew zekin, which means bearded ones or the wise. There's an assembly of the elders. And in Judaism, it was incumbent upon elders to be the husband of one wife, not given to wine, just, hospitable, able to manage his own house, etc. Now, what's interesting, in looking to find stable leaders for the church, Paul employs the same list of criteria that's employed in the synagogue. Paul was a member of the Parushim, the Pharisees. He was a synagogue man. So Paul's drawing from his own inventory of um, uh, structural mechanisms for organizing synagogue life and employing them here into the new economy. He then goes on to describe deacons. And he gives a list of, of character requirements for deacons, a tad bit more abbreviated than the previous. And here again, deacons, you know, today people think of deacons, it means different things to different people. But in Paul's day, synagogues had shamishim. It comes from the Hebrew word for a servant. I said all that to say this, that if you look at Paul, Paul writes Timothy and he says, listen, I don't want things to get out of control. What happens is the waters were getting a little murky. And here I am in the residence of Flavius, Furious, Aptius. And this is a den here, there was a fountain here. Now, you know, if the, if the waters are mixed and, and the fountain is brackish, no one wants to drink from it. What happens is the uh, understanding amongst the early believers was getting murky because there was divergent tellings. And Paul, fed, said, he, Paul told Timothy, clean out the water. We got to get this thing right, get it straight. We need good leaders. And what's interesting is the rabbi from Tarsus, in looking to set up leaders for the church, employed the criteria for leaders in Jewish synagogues. Our resource this week, the Grafted In Package, which includes the series called together on two DVDs, a Grafted In Necklace, two Stand With Israel koozies, a Grafted In Decal, a Grafted In Pen, our Things to Come bookmark, and the Prophesied Messiah bookmark. Contact us and ask for the Grafted In Package. And thank you for your support. I've gone all around the biblical world to teach the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Thank you for sending me there. After I go there, I come back here. This is one of our editorial suites at Our Jewish Roots. Here in our production studio, a number of individuals labor indefatigably behind the scenes in order to turn these programs around. It takes a while to turn them around and maybe get them out to the network because these are field generated more than studio generated. We live at a time, however, where things are happening fast and people want information. We have a mechanism to get that information to you. I hope you'll follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We have information that relates not just to yesterday, but today. We're all walking on a rough road with this virus and what have you, and we want to get good news to you. Do go to those sources, and thank you for going with me on the journey down Life's Highway.
As I walk along this ancient Roman road, I come here by my right hand to a memorial to a famous Roman citizen of the first century BC. In my left hand, I have a memorial to another famous Roman citizen from the first century AD, and that citizen is Paul. Before Paul went the way of all the earth, he wrote a few late letters, one of which was the document to Titus that I want to consider with you. If you'll open up, please, to chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I left you in Crete in order that you could bring some stability to the congregations there. He's looking for leaders. He says in verse 6, we're looking for someone who's blameless. Doesn't mean perfect as much as it underscores the importance of someone with sterling resolution. Someone who can manage his household well, Paul says, doesn't seem unreasonable that if a person can't manage himself well or his household well, it raises questions to the extent to which he can be of service to officiating in the church of God. Paul goes on then to underscore the importance of him having a good family. Here he turns to the ladies of the house. Here he says that women do well if they're sober and reverent and chaste and they possess with these various good skills. He says in verse 3, we're fortunate if the older women will likewise be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to wine. And he says that let these women admonish the younger ones to love their husbands and their own children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. As noted, we see that the rabbi from Tarsus is interested in establishing good living. For as much as the church is given to giving instructions about getting into the next life, it seems that Paul was given to giving instructions on how to live this one. I believe it's important that as we walk in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus, we understand that here's someone who's a rabbi who's giving instruction for the living of life, and he wants to establish communities where people can be raised up to maturity. And that is with the older men, the younger men, uh, you know, the older men serve the younger men, the older women serve the younger women, etc. He goes on to say in verse 11 that the grace of God that brings salvation to all men has appeared, teaching us that we do well to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Again, let me underscore that the rabbi from Tarsus was very worldly in the sense he was concerned with people living right in this age, not just explaining the rite of passage to the world to come. And as a rabbi, he was practical because he was interested in his constituents having good success in life. We would do well to remember that God cares about our life. He came to give us an abundant life and a good life. And we see in the Titus document, the rabbi from Tarsus is underscoring how important that is. And so, as a rabbi does, he gives instructions that we all do well to pay attention to. It has been said that the long arm of the pen reaches beyond the grave 
And the reason why that is because if someone commends their thoughts to writing, that even when that person dies, their persona lives on in the next generation. The reason why I mentioned that is that here, the rabbi from Tarsus is putting pen to paper to write at the ragged edge of his own grave from a prison. Now, he's been prisoned, imprisoned on more than one occasion, and typically he gives voice to an expectation of a release, but here he has no such expectation because he knows that the time of his end has come. Resist it though we may, I understand it that sometimes we know when this really is the season, when it's time to give up the ghost. Well, when Paul writes this letter to 2 Timothy, this is where he is at in life, again, at the ragged edge of life. And what does he say? He informs as much in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I'm already at the point of death to be poured out. And then he goes on to say, and I love the language, he said, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. The imagery is striking for a variety of reasons, and as I follow in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus out here in the Greco-Roman world, I'm reminded of how his imagery resonates with Greco-Roman themes. When Paul speaks of fighting the fight, remember previously he had spoke of him not boxing aimlessly at the wind. Previously, he wrote, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Again, he uses that uh, imagery of, of the Olympics. Beyond that, here he speaks of running the race. Again, going back to a favorite sport of the Greeks and then the Romans. It's where we get the term to run a marathon from an ancient Greek race. And here Paul has gone the distance and he finishes well. One of the things that I've learned when it comes to the Christian life is that a lot of people who begin the race don't finish it. But here Paul has a steady and strong finish as he crosses the line. But before he crosses, for a number of years he belongs to you mankind, and then he fades away and belongs to history. But before he goes, he writes to someone he knows, and he shares with him some things that he thinks would be very, very, very important. His back was against the wall, but he was still moving forward. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that as he's right up against his own demise, he tells Timothy how to get the rise, how to move forward. And let's look, please, in chapter 2, see if we can get to the essence of what he's all about. He says in chapter 2, verse 1 to Timothy, You, my son, must be strong in the Lord. Timothy didn't have a father. Or, well, obviously, biologically he did, but he faded away shortly thereafter. And Paul took the young fella under his wing. And now with Paul's about to go, Timothy would be particularly disconcerted, but he encouraged him to be strong, difficulties aside. And then he gives a few analogies. 
that I think are worthy of commending. It's what Paul told Timothy at the end of his days from prison, and we do well to hear him. He says in verse uh, 4 that no one engaged in warfare gets involved in civilian pursuits. Arguably, he's playing against the, the, the mythic persona that the Roman infantryman commended in ancient Greco-Roman culture. The Greeks and the Romans both prided themselves with their warrior class. And in Paul's day, the Roman legionnaire commanded respect all over the Mediterranean. They called it Mayor Nostrum in Latin, which means our sea, because they conquered it. And the Roman infantryman knew about discipline, focus, not breaking rank, not fearing, but endeavoring to be calm and work together with the other soldiers and above all, follow orders and never, ever, ever, ever retreat. As Paul finishes his days, he writes Timothy to not wince back in the face of adversity and he reminds him of soldiering. He goes on to say that no one who competes in athletics wins unless they compete according to the rules. And here again, there's a story that is played out against the backdrop of Greco-Roman culture, where individuals prized athletic competition. When competing, it's not good enough just to fight. One must needs play it out according to the rules. Paul doesn't want Timothy to shortchange himself or his hearers, disappoint Paul or disappoint his Savior. Play by the rules, Timothy. Thirdly, he goes on to give an analogy. He says it's the hard-working farmer who ought to get the first share of the crop. Paul wants Timothy to work hard, to keep his focus, to not let his verve and vitality diminish against life's troubles. And as Paul's life is right up against the edge, he reminds him in kind. I think it's fascinating, too, that Paul says, listen, it's the hardworking farmer who gets paid well. You know, Paul himself, this rabbi from Tarsus didn't stay in Tarsus. He caught a vision when he caught on to Yeshua with the net result that he turned around and went beyond Tarsus to points north and west. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing the borders. And now it's time to go. But before he goes, he says to Timothy and to the world by association, I want you to know what he wanted Timothy to know. He wants you to know and me to know. That is to work hard, to be tough, to keep the faith, to not give in. This is the life and the message of the rabbi from Tarsus.
For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Zion's sake, I'll preach the sun. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He gave to us his law. He gave to us his son. At the risk of being misunderstood, let me say, I think this series is so important. I don't think that I'm important or that we're important. I just think recovering Paul, the essence and substance of the man and his message is so important because he gets so much to the core of what it means to be Christian. Ah, uh, to follow in the steps, not always the easiest though. That is true, not always easy. It's just so important, there's so much, diversity and thinking, but Paul just grounds us in what does it really mean to walk in the footsteps of Israel's Messiah. And even more important than what I say about him is our viewers just opening up his literature and reading him and hearing him afresh. I hope this series helps make him more meaningful to people. Right, I, I think of maybe you as a mentor to the police academy I, you're mentoring these folks, these guys and gals, but they're, they're watching your life. I've had two careers in life. Uh, as a theologian, I have an opportunity as a Bible college seminary professor in my police vocation with that, had an opportunity, have an opportunity to mentor young officers. I just think it's so important to help raise up a generation, and we see that with Paul. Listen, speaking of what we see, uh, to me, a highlight in this whole series are the dramatic vignettes that come along with it. Uh, we open up the Bible, but we open up the Bible in the biblical world. Thank you for sending us there. And if you find value in what we do, let me tell you, we're going back to that world and back to that world. We go back to the world. We go back to the Word to bring it forth fresh. Thank you for helping us. Please support us financially. That's right. It's been a great series. It Thank has. you for your always insight. always makes me a little sad. Yeah. When, when it, Good series. They're all good ends. Brand new series you. next week. Can't yes. wait. Off we go. Yes. <laughs> and as we go, Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.
This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministry.